Our scripture reading for today is going to be from John 13, and I'll read from verse 31 to 35. Um, If you'd like to follow along, it'll be on page 900 in, in your pew Bibles. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, We're going to be making our way through the Gospel of John so that um, we land on John chapter 20 on Easter. And then the week after Easter, we'll be closing out the Gospel of John at John 21. Still praying about what we'll do next, most likely an Old Testament book, because I like to go from new to old. And I see some affirmation there about going back to the old. So cool. I love the Old Testament, too. Um, If you were to break down the Gospel of John into sections, the first big break you can do is looking at it in kind of halves. It's not an exact half, but half. Uh, John chapters 1 through 12 often are referred to as the book of signs. You're going to read a lot of miracles and signs that Jesus did during those times, and, and there are many. There are many miracles in those first 12 chapters to show the people who he is and what he came to do. And then when you get to chapter 13, there's that second break that second part and chapter 13 and on uh, there are no more public signs Uh, everything Jesus does is more in private and this is known as the book of glory and that part is where the gospel of John fully reveals the glory of Jesus where Jesus death on the cross to defeat sin is shown and it's where Christ's resurrection to conquer death is shown and all of that pointing to the glory of Christ Now, if you were to further break down the Gospel of John from the Book of Glory, the Book of Signs, and you further break it down, if you look just through chapters 13 through 17, that is sometimes referred to as the Upper Room Discourse. And sometimes it's also referred to as the Farewell Discourse. And so this is a a very, very intimate setting between Jesus and his disciples. It is the final moment or moments with uh, his disciples before his death. And so you're kind of entering the inner sanctum. You're entering like the Holy of Holies. It's the inner sanctuary. This is the last several hours that Jesus has with his disciples. And so if you're just looking at maybe a time frame of the time elapsing in this section, chapters 13 through 17, I don't know, I'm estimating there's no time, but I'm estimating like five, six hours where they're getting to hang out in this evening one last time. And they're gathered for this Passover meal. It's the late afternoon, and it goes into the dark evening hours until they leave the upper room. And when they leave the upper room, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's really dark. It's where Jesus prays. It's where he's arrested and then eventually killed. And so this section we're looking at today, just this Section in chapter 13, verses 21 through 38, maybe 15, 30 minutes, 
don't know that this conversation is happening. Just a guess. And you'll notice at verse 30, there's quite a shift in the feeling of this section because it's when Judas leaves. Like Judas leaves and to go betray Jesus, the devil is out of the room. And so we need to go back several chapters just to get more context into looking at these verses 21 through 38. So let's just go back to verses 16 through 21 just to give us some context there. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. We talked about that last week, referring back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And so you notice verse 21 informs us that Jesus was troubled in spirit, and it's not until verse 31 that that feeling in the room changes. From this troubled spirit to verse 31 when Jesus began to speak about glory. And then in verse 34, Jesus spoke about love. And so it's quite a change from that troubled spirit that he felt in verse 21 to then moving towards glorification. And then another shadow falls at the end of the chapter, verses 36 through 38, when Jesus foretells of Peter's denial. This chapter we're looking at today gives us the story about Jesus and Judas' betrayal. It also gives us the story of Jesus and Peter's denial. And just like all the other Gospels do, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they all have this story of Judas' betrayal and Peter's denial. Now John has some things in it that aren't in the other Gospels, but these stories, these two particular stories are in all of them. And it's just a complete exposure of Judas and of Peter. Let's move on to verses 22 through 30, where we're looking at this section today. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had The money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. We don't see Judas again until he leads a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees to arrest Jesus in John chapter 18. This moment is a terrible, terrible moment of betrayal. If you can just place yourself in this situation, it's the starting point that leads to Jesus' death. Judas has been a friend, uh, someone hanging out with Jesus for three years. 
he attended this Passover meal with Jesus. And as we looked at last week, he washed Judas's feet. And so he had knelt at Judas's feet in all humility and washed his betrayer's feet. And this foot washing was a sign of what he was going to do in his own death and resurrection, a picture of what's happening. He was going to humiliate himself. He was going to humble himself. And then he was going to resume his rightful place at the side of the Heavenly Father in a spiritual sense. But in this kind of sense of the table here and washing feet, this Passover meal, a physical picture of us to see of what was going to be done spiritually. And so this foot washing was a cleansing, a sign of being cleansed of our sin, being washed clean. And even though Judas's feet were washed clean, he rejected this. He rejected this sign, what was done for him. And it's so much like people today. That Jesus offers to wash all of us clean of our sins, but there are so many who reject it, don't want it. And they go into their own way and they continue into darkness. They just go into darkness, turning on Jesus, rejecting Jesus, even though Jesus has offered them cleansing and light. There are many people like Judas, hardened heart, that no matter how much they've seen or experienced with Jesus, they're hellbound. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. And even when things seem so low, even when Jesus shares about Judas's betrayal, look back to verses 18 through 20 and how Jesus points them back to Scripture. Verse 18, but the Scriptures will be fulfilled. Jesus pointing them back to Scriptures, and then he said this in verse 19, I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am He. The darkness, that betrayal, is meant for them to believe. It's not meant to put them down or anything like that. It's meant for them to believe. And then verse 21 again, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in His Spirit. Now there are some people who think that we should all feel good and great all the time because we have the word of God. Like, you, why are you so sad? Or why are you depressed? Why are you anxious? Why are you all these things? You, you, we have God. Like, you, why are you feeling this way? I, I don't know if you get as irritated as I do, but when I'm feeling down, I, I feel down. And I don't want to hear like, oh, don't be troubled. Where's your faith? Cheer up. You know, I have a dear friend. Some of you know him here as well, Howard. Uh, you probably haven't seen him here in a while. He used to sit up there. Howard was born and raised in this church. He's like the original OG of Lakeside Baptist Church, which was what this was. Howard um, has an incurable, uh, aggressive form of lung cancer. So when was I crying last? Friday. I'm almost about to right now for Howard. And if you're going to come to me and say, oh, don't be troubled, don't, dude, like, leave. Like, I don't want to talk to you right now. Right? I've known Howard for 20 some odd years, maybe. 
He's touched every part of this building. He's always willing to help anytime. You've heard his testimony here. But here's Jesus, and he's troubled in spirit. Jesus himself is troubled in spirit. And Jesus points his disciples back to the scriptures, and he told them to believe based on the scriptures, but it doesn't mean that he's void of feeling troubled. He tells them to look at scriptures, and then he feels troubled. He felt troubled even though he's the one telling him about the scriptures and telling them to believe, and he still feels this way. Jesus knows exactly how you feel troubled even when you do trust the scriptures, even when you do believe. He is a God that truly empathizes with what you're going through and who you are. And there are things that trouble us even when we know the scriptures and we are believers. We're still troubled. Why was Jesus troubled? I don't know for a fact, but I kind of wonder of what's troubling Jesus. I wondered if it was because he knew the dark path Judas was traveling on. And he was greatly troubled by a friend who was following him for three years and he knew him and he knew Jesus and yet he's still walking this path. Or maybe Jesus was troubled because he knew what was about to happen to him in a few hours, in several hours that what was coming was going to be horrendous and horrible pain, terrible for his mom. He just knew what was coming. We don't know, but we know that there was no turning back from this point, as the scriptures have already said. He's pointing them back to the scriptures. And so Jesus was troubled, but Jesus was not a victim. Look at verse 27. What you are going to do, do quickly. He's in control. He's the one dismissing Judas to go do what he needs to do. And when Judas leaves, that's it. The ball has started rolling. There's no turning it back. It's done. It's a point of no return for both Judas and Jesus. Now, did you notice what happened in verses 23 through 25? John was reclining at table at Jesus' side. He's the one that Jesus loved, you know, he didn't want to put his name out there, but he's like referring to himself. You know, the one that Jesus loved, yeah, it's me. And then you'll notice that Peter motioned to John, right? He motioned to John to ask Jesus whom he was speaking, because obviously Peter was a little bit further down the line, and John's saying like, yeah, Jesus, I'm with Jesus. So I was leaning back, Jesus, eating food, and there's Peter over there. Ask Jesus who it is. Ask him. Right? He's motioning to him, like, ask him. So John's like, Lord, can I have another grape? Thank you. Um, who is the one that, you know, who is it? And so the other gospels include this conversation that happened at the table with each disciple asking, Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? But then you have to look into a different gospel for more detail. You look at Matthew's gospel. Matthew recorded Judas answering it this way. Is it I, Rabbi? Wasn't Lord. Is it I, Rabbi? Now I wonder if Judas saying this sounded a little differently in his throat. Like, 
and trying to clear his throat. And I also wonder, like, why the different words? Like, why aren't you saying it just like everybody else? Why are you saying rabbi? He knew it was him. He knew he was going to do it. So he brings it from this Lord status, this spiritual Lord status, to a rabbi, like a peer, like a teacher. Like, we're all human here. But he knows it's him. And this is someone who was trusted with the ministry finances. He hung out with Jesus for three years, had this Passover meal with Jesus before, and at this point, he just had his feet washed by Jesus. And then the very next minute, he heads out into the night to betray Jesus. All that history, all that friendship, gone. And Jesus was good to him the whole time. I mean, what did Jesus do to him? He entrusted him with all this money, knowing that he would steal from it, and yet he still treated him well. He still washed his feet, still invited him to the Passover meal. Now you look back to the start of verse 27. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered in him. There's this pattern in Judas's life. You look back just one chapter when Mary took that pound of expensive ointment, uh, Simon shared with us this passage, thank you Simon, and anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair. Let's look back at that, chapter 12, verses four through six at what happened. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. What happened in the upper room with Judas didn't begin in the upper room. And it's a lot like this with all of our failures. That they begin way earlier in our life. It began way earlier in Judas's life to be this betrayer. He didn't just become this suddenly. There was something in his heart that was unrepented, and he wasn't completely surrendered to Jesus earlier on, just like in chapter 12. He never dealt with himself. I don't think he was saved. He hung out with Jesus, but he didn't repent of his sins. He wasn't transformed. He wasn't changed. And that's a lot of people. Whether you're coming to church or, or you've been a Christian your whole life, you grew up in the church, you know all the Bible stories, you can tell people, you can debate, you can argue apologetics, you can do all this sort of stuff, but you're not changed. And you're just like a Judas. You know the stuff, but it hasn't changed you. When someone does something immoral, unethical, illegal. It's not something that was done just out of the blue, just right then and there. When you're thinking about things like adultery or murder or stealing or any of those other sins that are actions, they all take time to brew within someone who has not submitted themselves to Jesus to change them before they actually manifest themselves into what it is. Isn't that true? Right? You don't suddenly become a murderer. You don't suddenly become an adulterer. 
You've been struggling with stuff way before that. An adulterer's been struggling with pornography and addiction and covetousness and looking at people that when they're already in a covenant relationship with their spouse. A murderer doesn't just go out there and kill somebody. There's been something in them that they haven't dealt with inside their heart that has to level them out and repent of who they are before they actually kill someone. That's Judas. He hasn't dealt with himself way back when. And he had these three years when he had an opportunity to do that. For Jesus to change him. For him to really submit to Jesus. But his heart never changed. Judas didn't change in all of those years spending day after day with Jesus. And he left that night the same person he was when he entered into that upper room. He was an unchanged person. Jesus didn't do miracles everywhere he went. He didn't do miracles where people resisted him. Sometimes he did, sometimes he didn't. He chose when to do that, but... Anytime Jesus didn't do a miracle didn't mean that suddenly Jesus was powerless there. Right? It's not saying that at all. It's because the people there weren't ready for him to do those miracles or signs. It's not because of Jesus not being able to do them. It's the people there that they rejected Jesus and so there's no sign there. Judas left. You notice there's this noticeable change in the room. Jesus talks about glory and he talks about love. Jesus shared some feelings that I don't think Judas ever heard from that point because he had already left. And so it's kind of like some of the people who rejected Jesus not getting to see his miracles. It's similar in that way. Judas didn't get to hear the words the other disciples got to hear. And yes, the disciples, they still will fail and fail miserably. We'll read on. But they do recover. They do get up. They don't understand everything that Jesus is saying at the upper room at this time. Verses 13 to 17. They don't understand everything. But over time, they get a better understanding of what Jesus said during this five, six hour period. And this is the same thing for us, isn't it? If you've been a Christian for a while, you probably know this story. You know this already. You don't need me to go over it again. Hopefully, over time, you do get a better understanding of it. That even though you've heard it before, there's something that sinks in a little bit deeper, and it does for me. And I do this for a living. And it still sinks in a little bit deeper for me. And hopefully, we're in a place to receive what we couldn't before. And this is a hope I have for our church to be able to receive more of the word of God, to believe more. It doesn't mean that we're not going to fail. It doesn't mean that we've got everything figured out. But that we're able to receive more from the word of God, not just from the pulpit, but in your home groups or whenever you guys get together to fellowship with one another or our worship nights or these upcoming midweek services that we have during the, the Lent season to gain a deeper understanding, to get a better understanding of God's word. Is this something that you desire? Because I think this is a big difference between a Judas and a Peter. 
Is this something that our church desires in terms of understanding more of the word of God? Or are our hearts elsewhere? Do we have some other agenda for the church? You see, when our hearts are not for Jesus, we won't receive from Jesus what he has for us. We will miss out on the signs. We will miss out on his words. It happened to the people in Jesus' day. It happened to Judas as a disciple where people are missing what Jesus had to say and had to do and Judas missed out on this really important upper room discourse. He missed out on all of this. Verses 13 through 17, he missed out on all of it. He just had enough of Jesus and that was it. I'm heading out. Verses 31 through 37, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another." Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Back to Peter, right? No, God, you can't wash my feet. You'll have no part of me. All of me. Wash all of me. Head to toe. Do it all. Sponge bath, right? Everything. But he didn't learn his lesson just from that point and then right back here again, right? Like, come on, God, I can follow you, come on. He couldn't see his own heart, right? Peter just like more head than heart or more, I don't know, he's, he's just imbalanced. And at this point, as much as he would on later on in his life, he would follow Jesus, he would die for Jesus. But at this very time, through the Gospel of John, and even into Acts. Jesus had so much work to do with Peter. So much work. Peter had to go through a lot more breaking before being restored, rebuilt by Jesus. There would be so much more heartbreak for Peter and for Jesus before Peter would mature into a Christian who did die as a martyr for his faith. Church history has it that Peter was martyred upside down for his faith. Don't know that for a fact. That's the church history story. But he makes a lot of mistakes. Even after Jesus comes back and resurrects and says, feed my sheep three times to like restore Peter and all these things that Jesus does for him, he still makes a ton of mistakes. Even years later, he's making mistakes. An example, looking at the book of Acts, when Paul reprimands him for his views on how Christianity should be practiced, and he's like siding with the Jews and saying, like, yeah, we should do it these certain ways. He is so far from perfect even years later. But years of the Holy Spirit working on Peter, he did become a pillar of the church. And Peter meant what he said when he said this to Jesus at this point, I will lay down my life 
for you. I have no doubt that he meant it. He just couldn't carry it out. I think he meant it at the time. Like, I'm going to do that for you. But then when he was met with all the opposition and the scariness and the soldiers and all that, then he just folded. Verse 38, Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? And I think in his head, he's like, yeah, no doubt. No doubt, I'll do it for you. No, no questions asked. And then Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Peter, you're talking big game right now, but in a few hours, it's gone. And I just wonder how he felt at that time, if he, like, it made him even more puffed up, like, no, I'm really doing this, or if he just was like, yeah, he really knows. Like, I, I am a coward. I'm not going to do it. Don't know. I do think Peter really meant it, but Jesus knew who Peter was at that time, and that he was going to deny Jesus. We're going to get to that story in chapter 18. So we'll just kind of look at this particular time of what's happening. And I think Peter at this time was pretty sure of himself. I'm going to lay my life down for Jesus. But we know the end of the story that by the time we get to chapter 18, and I'm, I hope I'm not ruining this for anyone. You know, I, don't, yeah, I hope, you know. But I'm going to spoil it for you if you don't know. He denies Jesus. I know. I know. Unbelievable. But chapter 18, Jesus, I just imagine how he felt then. Like, horrible. Just horrible. He probably puts himself on the same level as Judas at this point. Like, man just like that guy even though he wasn't like Judas Judas had issues before the devil appeared in his life his issues began when he didn't submit to Jesus he didn't bow the knee to Jesus he refused to bear the cross with Jesus and be delivered from his sin which predominantly was covetousness for Judas but that evening of John chapter 13 Peter was in a similar place Maybe not so much covetousness, but maybe more pride. Pride with Jesus and refusing to bow the knee to Jesus and just submitting to what Jesus had to say and kind of like still fighting Jesus on what Jesus was saying, which we do all the time. The word is plain and clear for us, and yet we're fighting against it all the time. Like, is that really what it says? Is that really what it is? And we're always fighting it, right? But it's like, that's what he said. And it's, we're just like Peter. We have our own pride in wanting to interpret things for ourselves or wanting to do things for ourselves or reason or using our own logic for ourselves and our own smarts or whatever. Rather than just simply bearing the cross of Christ. And so Peter had really great intentions, just like so many other people do. We have great intentions. We want to do good things for people. And then here's Peter, he's wanting to defend Christ. He's wanting to defend the faith or defend Christian, whatever, just like we do. We want to defend things. But the thing is, if God needed our defending, how weak would he be? He doesn't need you and me. He doesn't need us to defend him. And then rather than looking at our own sin, just like Peter, rather than looking at his own sin for Jesus to deliver him from it, 
It is the very thing that he was kind of like fighting against that caused him to deny Jesus. That pride. You know, sometimes we justify our sins. We look at Judas and we say, like, you know, Judas, he was an apostate. He went too far. And then we look at Peter and we say, like, oh, Peter was just backsliding. Like, he wasn't an apostate. He was just backsliding. And so apostasy is not okay, but, you know, backsliding. You know, every once in a while we do it. So, you know, and then we start justifying that. You know, you know it, we're just human. We just do that. That's a really dangerous place to be. When you start justifying your sin, why is that? Because you're on that slippery slope of Judas who never gets his heart changed. It's kind of like all those things. So, you know, I, I just look at porn once in a while. What's the big deal? It's those seeds of things that lead to the bigger things, like adultery. I hate people. I cuss them out. I don't care. It's not a big deal. So what? I'm a road rage driver. Every once in a while, it's fine. I just need to get the steam off. Relax and chill. Repent, you know? Like, <laughs> it's, it's not that big of a deal. Say sorry. I shouldn't be such a uh, bleep. Um, but here, you know, Judas just ran away from it all. He left that room and he ran away from it all. And there's something very different between a Judas and a Peter. And that Peter desired to be close to Jesus even in his weakness. And Judas just ran off. Just ran off. Peter still wanted to be close with Jesus. We'll cover this closer to his denial in chapter 18. But he was close enough that when he denied Jesus, they both heard the rooster crow. They were able to make eye contact in that courtyard where that illegal trial was happening against Jesus. And when that denial happened, they were able to see each other hear each other, like they could still feel all of that. And what happened after that happened? The Gospels tell us that he went out and he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. Why? Because Peter remembered the saying of Jesus. He remembered the Lord's words. He remembered the scripture. He remembered the words of the Lord. Look at Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 32. Right before Jesus told them he would deny him. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. I don't have a doubt that Judas wept also. I think he did. I think he felt horrible for what he did. But his weeping was probably because he was exposed for who he was with no further hope in Jesus. Like, like that was it for him. Like he couldn't see a way out for him. Peter's exposed also. Peter does exactly what Jesus said, that he would deny him three times. But he still kept that remnant of hope in Jesus. And maybe this is you. You're not completely living a life honoring of Jesus Christ. And now you have a decision to make. To go the way of Judas or to go the way of Peter. Judas couldn't bring himself to a place of repentance to confess that Jesus is his Lord. And here's Peter who failed miserably. But he eventually did repent. 
And if you feel like you've failed miserably, join the club. Who hasn't? Right? Who hasn't? Who hasn't failed Christ miserably? We all have. I've failed so many times. And the important things aren't those failures or aren't those backsliding time. The important part in the failing is that you continue to hold on to Jesus and your faith in him. That you keep hoping in Jesus. That you continue to stay close. That you can still hear him. That you can still see him. That you just haven't abandoned and left but that you're still close, even when your failures are completely exposing who you really are. And it's embarrassing. You don't want to show yourself to your friends. You don't want to show yourself to your family. You don't want to show yourself to anyone because you're just ashamed. And that's Judas. He took off. He isolated himself. He didn't want to be with anybody else. Peter doesn't do that, even though like his John, the disciple that loved Jesus, is like, so the rooster crow? He's like, shut up, man. But he still went back, right? He went back with his brothers, and he still hung out with them. Jesus is the only one that can deliver you. Even in your failures, you have to stay close. You have to be within earshot. You have to be within eyesight. You can't just take off and disappear into isolation. One final thought. Will you approach Jesus as... Judas did as a teacher, rabbi? Or will you be like the other disciples and approach Jesus like Lord? Is it I, Lord? Or are you going to say, Coach, is it me? How informal, formal are you going to be with divine God? Because Jesus is more than just a teacher. He's more than just a coach. The other disciples asked, Is it I, Lord? He's our Savior. He's our God. He's not here just to help you be a better person or help you do something better like a coach or a teacher does. He's way more than that. He transforms us into his likeness for us to imitate him. So Judas or Peter, you know, which one are you? Which way are you going to go? Is Jesus your Lord? Is Jesus your rabbi? That's kind of the telling part, you know. Are you just going to him for advice? Are you just going to him to like answer some things for you? Or is he your Lord? You submit yourself. You completely bow the knee. And you might doubt yourself, but you don't have to doubt who Jesus is. You know who he is. He told you who he is. If you doubt anyone, maybe it is yourself. You, maybe you think too highly of yourself like a Peter did. Or maybe you think you know better than God does, like Judas. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. My hope for you this morning is that you trust in Jesus and that you've grown in this last 25, 30 minutes from this passage that we all know so well and we're familiar with it, but this has helped you grow a little. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we take time in these next several weeks to go over this upper room discourse, this really intimate conversation you had with the remaining disciples. We get an insight into this upper room time. And what a blessing it is, Lord, that you make this available to us, that you've spoken to 
these gospel writers to record this for us, that we can see what was happening back then. Thank you for that generosity and that grace to share this with us. I pray, Lord, that during this upcoming Easter season, this Lent season, that this isn't just another one for us, but that we are gaining a deeper understanding from your word that our belief is increasing. And I pray, Lord, that if there are those things that are holding us back, like a Judas who wasn't able to fully repent of who he was and what he was doing, I pray that all of that is just broken during this time in these next several weeks, that we do come before you in full repentance and bowing the knee in full submission so that we do live lives according to your will. Lord, forgive us of our own pride. Forgive us of relying on ourselves and being so self-reliant and reasoning in our own minds that we know more than you somehow. And I pray, Lord, that you would move into the forefront. Your word moves into the forefront. In Jesus' name, amen. If you don't have communion elements, just please hold up your hands. Uh, Steph and Rick will get that over to you, and we're going to move into a time of communion together. This wafer on the top of this packet is a symbol of Christ's body broken for us. And just like in that upper room where Jesus was celebrating the Passover, there's a middle wafer in this sleeve that's called the afikomen. Jesus breaks that, puts one in, and typically what happens on the other half is it's hidden somewhere and the kids go look for it. It's a part of the game of this Passover service because it's very long and it's one of those breaks where the kids are happy about it because all the other times they're just like, oh, when is this going to be over? Like, you know. But then they get like this huge prize and stuff like that. But if you can picture in your head, broken, and Christ is kind of like showing himself. The sleeve, he's being put into the tomb. There's all these wonderful pictures in that Passover Seder. But this is what Jesus is doing. He's breaking this bread, symbolizing his body. That saves us. We take this in Jesus' name. This fruit of the vine symbolizing the blood of Christ shed for us, cleansing us of our sins in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you for this simple sacrament that is so meaningful. And as you tell us to do this regularly until your return, we eagerly await for your return. And as a church and as individual followers, believers of you, Jesus, please prepare us for that return. Help us to be instruments of what you want us to do, extending that saving message to people who haven't heard it encouraging those who have, bringing those who have walked away from you. Lord, we await for your return in Jesus' name. Amen.